Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories. As always, I need to give a quick shout out to the sponsors for this episode. Without these sponsors, it would be hard for this podcast to continue to happen. So I am very grateful for them. Um... The sponsors for this episode are Jake Hershey. He does custom leather work, and you can find his page on Facebook if you search Cross JH Custom Leather. His slogan is Handmade by One Man at a Time in Texas, USA. Our next sponsor is the Flying UW Ranch. We're very proud to have them as a sponsor as well. If you are interested in sponsoring this podcast, please feel free to send me an email My email is cowboystoriespodcast at gmail.com and just let me know that you're interested in sponsoring. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different, but before we dive right into the interview, there are a few things that I wanted to go over before we get started. My goal in doing this podcast is to preserve the heritage and the legacies of the full-time cowboy and rancher. I want it to be unique and authentic to the people listening who live it every day of their life. However, it has come to my attention that these are not the only people who are listening to this podcast. There are people from all different backgrounds listening, and I decided to do an episode to help people understand a few more details about ranching that not everyone talks about. We're going to talk about some of the maintenance and improvements that are required to run cattle in the West. And for those of you not from Western states like Utah, Nevada, Idaho, Arizona, New Mexico, etc., It's important to understand that ranchers in the West run their cattle on a lot of public land. But just because they run on public land, that doesn't mean they get to turn their cows out for free. There's a common misconception that public land ranchers are welfare ranchers. That couldn't be further from the truth. As we go through this episode, I hope that you will realize how much time and money is spent by the rancher to improve and sustain the land that they run their cattle on. So... To get things started, let's go over some more definitions that you wouldn't be familiar with if you're not involved in the industry. The first thing is a section. When you hear people throughout this podcast talk about a section, it's good to know that a section is 640 acres. So in some parts of southern Utah, ranchers can run about 9 cows per section, or in other words, 9 cows per 640 acres. The next one is AUM, and AUM stands for Animal Unit Monthly. So when referring to AUMs, we are referring to how many cattle the rancher can run per unit per month. The next thing you need to know is that cattle allotments are purchased per AUM. So if you're out looking for a cattle ranch to buy, you could purchase it by the AUM. Around here, the average going rate per AUM is about $300. So, for example, to put it all together, if you were looking to purchase your own allotment, and let's say that particular allotment ran 100 head, around here that would be 1,200 AUMs. So, as I said before, you purchase the allotment by the AUM. 
if the going rate is $300 per AUM, that particular allotment would cost you $360,000 just to buy the grazing rights. However, that doesn't include the cost to buy the cattle to stock it. These days, if you run 100 head of cows, you're looking at another $150,000. So total on that allotment, you're looking at $510,000 just to get started with 100 head. I don't know anyone who has that kind of money laying around, so if you wanted to buy that hypothetical allotment, you'd have to get a loan from a bank, and long story short, if you were able to qualify, you'd have a payment plus interest on your $510,000 loan. But that's not the end of the expense. Now that you bought your allotment and you have the grazing rights to it, you pay a monthly grazing fee to the government, either the Bureau of Land Management or the Forest Service, depending on where your allotment is. So let's say your grazing fee on average is $1.35. If you're running 100 head of cows, you're going to pay the government $135 a month for the grazing fee on that allotment. So now you pay your payment plus interest to the bank, you pay your monthly grazing fee, and some of you might think that that's where the expe expense ends, but it's not. Now you have the expense of maintenance and improvements. Maintenance can include anything from upkeep on fences, broken pipelines and wells, Improvements can be anything from new water systems, reseeding projects, new corrals, new stretches of fence, etc. And all of that adds up. Not to mention the expense of putting out salt and supplement, the expense of your vehicle maintenance, fuel to pump water, fuel to drive and check on your allotment. So you can see how all of this kind of starts to add up. Everything that I've mentioned so far hasn't even included all of the time and labor that a rancher puts into improving and sustaining the land that they run on. And I haven't even mentioned that the majority of these things are just more out-of-pocket costs that a rancher pays for. Yes, the government has programs and grants that you can apply for, but for the most part, all of these are out-of-pocket expenses. So now that you understand a little bit more about how much of their own money a rancher has invested, let's talk a little bit about the management of the allotment. Remember, you just paid $510,000 to get started. You have a payment due to the bank every month. You have a grazing fee due to the government every month. Do you think it would be fair to assume that the rancher would take care of his or her investment? I would say so. Do you think the rancher would do whatever he or she could to improve and make the range better for their cattle? I would definitely say yes. There are always improvements to do on a public land allotment. However, the rancher can't go do whatever he wants to improve it whenever he wants. The government, meaning the BLM or the Forest Service, have to approve projects before they are done. If you want to put a new water trough on a far corner of the allotment to help the cattle stay where the better feed is, you have to first apply for that improvement. Sometimes it's approved, sometimes it's not. The BLM and the Forest Service are really the ones calling the shots on the allotment that you are invested in. As the rancher, you are told when you can turn out and when you have to be off. Oftentimes, you are managed by dates instead of actual conditions on the ground. As you can imagine, that can be a hard thing when you feel like you know your allotment better than those who are calling the shots. Another thing to consider is that even after you purchase this allotment, it's still public land. 
so anyone can camp, hike, ride ATVs, and explore on your allotment, which they have a right to do since it's public land. But this only becomes a problem when people start camping on waters, which prevent cattle from coming in to get a drink, or when they leave gates open, or when they vandalize wells and generators. Most people are respectful, but it can still be a problem. Ranchers running on private land have the luxury of locking a gate to keep people out to prevent any form of vandalism. Anyway, I just feel like all of that needed to be mentioned. Like I said at the beginning, there are a lot of people listening out there who are not involved in this industry in any kind of way. And I feel like that that this is a short, short summary of that would kind of help you realize how much a rancher has invested in their allotments. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand. We could dive into more details of each specific areas on that. Um, but for the purpose of this podcast, I'm not going to. That was just a quick summary. And it flows directly into what I wanted to visit with Dan Button about today. Dan... I'll let him introduce himself, but he does a lot of improvements and projects for people. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to visit with him and talk to him and kind of get his take um, on on the improvements and the things that, that people are doing on their allotments. So with all that being said, let's get to it. I'll let Dan introduce himself and we'll dive right in. just want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and we'll go from there okay so i'm danny button uh live in canab born and raised and still raising my family here on the on the same ranch that my dad and his dad and my great-grandfather started uh and for as long as i can remember i just love being on the ranch and around cattle and uh, just any any opportunity I could get to to go with my grandfather or my dad and be a horseback or or anything I'd just jump at the chance and and they just always made me feel welcome and and made me feel like I was part of the crew or make me made me feel older than I probably was and really included me and and uh, I just it's just an honor to to have my kids on that same outfit and be able to tell stories and the history and and things like that and then uh, so as I got older like in high school I, I just I looked for any chance I could to to go help somebody or be a horseback and work cows and and so there was an old guy an old guy here by the name uh, Guile Hardy was his name and he he took care of some cattle for a guy on the Arizona Strip, and so me and another friend, uh, he he would hire us to go help him on the weekends a lot and stuff, and 
and and really taught us a lot taught us a lot about kind of how to handle cattle and and a lot of different things which which i knew a little bit how to do i mean our outfit wasn't very big we were just kind of weekend warriors you know and everybody had to have a town job or a real job i don't know what you call it but, <laughs> uh and then and then also the joneses justin i went to high school with justin and and him and jr really taught me a lot like like justin probably taught me how to rope like we didn't our our ranch was the, was the kind where we'd gather our cattle or horseback and they were pretty gentle and you'd get to the trail and tie up and do everything afoot you know and and it wasn't till I was around Justin and Jr. that that I seen like cowboys working cattle in a corral, horseback, and and how calm and quiet it can be, and how smooth it works. And 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 I got later in life, I got to go with them and work with them quite a bit, and and just learned a lot from them, and learned a lot of a lot of lessons in life, not just how to be a cowboy, but how to be a honest, upstanding guy. That's something that I really appreciate about, I don't know, it seems like the good people involved in agriculture and in just that whole lifestyle. It seems that all of them are just, the good ones are just good, honest, hardworking. Like if they tell you that they're going to do something, they'll do it. And I feel like that's a big lesson that a lot of people, I don't learn from even just being around them. You know? <laughs> absolutely and and you and you just learn that from like jr would just take he could see you were struggling with something or or maybe he wanted to chew your butt and maybe he did but he would do it in a way that you still respected him but he was teaching you and and it was i mean it was a butt chewing but it was a loving butt chewing i guess yeah. you know yeah so growing up and like just kind of learning from different people as you went along, like different ways of doing stuff, like your family worked cows on foot in the krill and then watching the Jones do it horseback. And I'm sure you've seen other people do things differently all over the place. So, so. yeah, so, so we do, yeah, I, I worked for a lot of different people in high school and, and after high school. Uh, four or five guys out on the Arizona Strip that we still help. Uh, actually, out of high school, I went to Florida with Tyson Johnson, worked on the church ranch in Florida. We didn't do a lot of cowboy in there, but we got to watch them guys and, and see a different way of doing things and handling cattle. And everybody does it different but it works for them and mm -hmm. and we just we picked up a lot of a lot of little things and put them together on our place and uh like like i i like to rope them the joneses really took time with me and taught me to enjoy it and it wasn't a pain or a bad experience and and so we like we drag our calves now and you know, all my kids rope. I'm I'm basically the ground crew now that I'm the old man. So <laughs> the kids all fight about who's going to rope, and I sit down there and yell at them, I guess. But it's it's fun to to put things together in your own way and and make it work for you. Yeah, it's it's 
like like with Clint Clint Heaton you've interviewed Clint and I've been with him down in the Canab Creek and and watching him handle them cattle in that rough thick country and and you can adapt and and our winter range is is right above his like we look off into his so our cattle get down in them canyons and stuff so we do a lot with Clint and and he's he's pretty neat to to be with and listen to like like he knows cattle and and kind of the the breeding and and things he's I, I don't know how to say it but I, I really respect him and, and the way he goes about his operation so with your operation you said you you were the fifth generation was that right yeah I'd and be you're... so on it'd be on my mom's side I'd be the fifth fifth generation no no excuse me I'm wrong it's my dad's side it goes back yeah, five. So my son would be six. That's cool. It's still on the same place. So, yeah, I mean, that, that place, I mean, that far back, there was no fences. So mm -hmm. it was everywhere. But yeah, part part of our outfit is still part of where them cattle run. Do you mind telling us a little bit about where you run and how many cattle you run? So we run just east of Canab on the on the Ponsagants, what most people know of. Nephi Pasture is, is what our permit's called. Uh, and that's the place that's been in my family for a long, long time. And then we have, I've picked up some other permits, which are just above town here, the Red Butte. Uh, we lease a place uh, at Headwaters up, up the Canab Creek. And then we bought a place up on the Glendale Bench. It's called Burnt Cedar. Uh, and then we winter in Arizona out on the Arizona Strip. So. So our personal, my personal outfit is about 130 mother cows. And then we lease, lease probably isn't the right word. We manage a, another ranch for the riches who own Jacob Lake. Oh, okay. And that outfit is about, right now is at about 80 head. It will, it will run probably 100. So, and then, and then in the wintertime, out on the strip, I got two neighbors. One lives in St. George, and one lives in Panguitch. And we all neighbor, you know, we all touch each other on a fence somewhere. And so they have me tend their cattle. They pay me to tend their cattle for the winter. So in the winter time, we're pushing 500 head is what we're looking after. Okay. What is the hardest part about running cattle where you guys do? You know, on the on the on the Pontagon, on the monument, it's probably, and I, and I heard your dad say it, it's probably just the people. And, it, and it's you not- You get a lot of people out there. We get tons. And, and like, there's a lot of places here in town that rent like razors and side-by-sides and, and they're just everywhere, you know? And it's not that they're, I'm not saying that people are bad. It's, it's just that there's gates get left open and, I don't know what it is about a water trough, but everybody wants to park at a water trough and have lunch <laughs> yeah. and whatever, and your cattle are trying to come in and they won't. And so they're standing out there, they're thirsty and you know it's hot in the middle of the summer. And there's, there's just a lot of issues that come up. I, I don't think it's on purpose, but it just happens. Yeah. And, and then our, theirs on the strip country is probably the water. Like there's no live water, so. We rely on, on rainwater or we have to haul it. 
And has that been rough this year? It's been terrible. <laughs> yeah. Because there's been no There's rain. nothing. Yeah, we're... I mean, lately we've been getting a little bit of storms and it's lightened up some, but we were hauling five to six loads a week. Like we haul 8,000 gallons at a time. So it's a lot of water. Yeah. Yeah, so I have to haul for, like, for my neighbors that I'm taking care of their cattle too. So it's it's kind of a full-time job sometimes. And how far do you have to haul the water? Like, do you fill up? So we we load right here at my house. Okay. Yeah, and it's probably the farthest haul... It's probably about 30 miles, and about half of that's probably dirt. So, Gosh. I mean, it's not, it could be worse, but it's bad it enough. It could be better. Yeah, it could be better, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Huh. yeah. You, you know, I left out a, a pretty big part when I was talking about people who had helped me. Uh, so, I, in high school, I would go up on the 50 with Boyd Rucker. Uh, me and Tyson Johnson were pretty good friends and and I kind of thought Boyd's stepdaughter was pretty cute so we was <laughs> hanging around her and so that's kind of how we got hooked up with Boyd. But mm. but we would go up there with Boyd and Mary and uh, they would gather them wild cattle up there and and that's really where I got really hooked on on wanting to punch cows and and learn how to handle them kind of cattle and and Boyd, boy, he was patient with us because we were we were pretty green. I mean, we thought we were cowboys, but it didn't take long to after a day with Boyd to realize we didn't know much. <laughs> and uh, man, we'd catch them. Well, I shouldn't say we. He he caught ninety percent of them, but he'd catch them big old bulls and and fork a tree and suck them up into that tree. And one of us would grab a heel and and holding back and boy to get in there and start cutting the horns off and one of us would get in there with him kind of hold an ear out of the way or hold a horn do whatever we could to help him it, i remember the first four or five every time that as a bull or a cow every time they'd flinch man me or tice we were leaving the country like <laughs> we were scared to death this was a two thousand pound animal and hadn't seen a man ever you know and 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 Boyd, man, he'd get mad at us. Knock it off! You're making them mean, you know. You just they can't get you. And he they'd flinch like that, and he wouldn't even he wouldn't even flinch. He'd just pat them on the head and say, "There, there, it's gonna be all right." And he man, he was patient and took his time with them animals and and didn't didn't jerk them down or you know I mean things happen. They did get jerked down, but he didn't do it on purpose. He wasn't rough and mean on purpose he he just kind of let them figure it out with him and i i learned a lot a lot about how to handle that kind of cattle from him was going up there with him was that the first time that you did handle cattle like that like no, was I, he there to kind of coach you through that or? yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i handled cattle like that afterwards like with the joneses some when they would go clean some stuff up sometimes that'd go help but but yeah that's the i mean i i'd heard a few stories about stuff like that but didn't think anything like that existed anymore you know i i grew up around gentle cattle that you could walk through and put your hand on most of them and, and uh yeah it was a big eye opener and and it took us, it took me and Tice a while, but we finally got brave enough to catch some stuff. And, and Boyd, I mean, he was right there. He he was good with us. And 
and like he he taught us how to lead them cattle and he would always he would make us tie off like he wouldn't let it, let us lead up close like like the Joneses lead up close and I like it and that's the way we do things on my place but up there he he had us at the end of our rope but but he would always put a brake man he'd put two head ropes on so that somebody behind so you could keep each other from getting in a wreck and, and he would he would lead them by himself but he'd been doing it his whole life so yeah. so he really watched out for us and, and coached us along and made it fun for us and you know when we were scared and thought we were going to die he'd kind of crack a joke and <laughs> you know make it fun again and yeah yeah he he was a good a good coach and a good man can you think back to one of those stories where you thought you were going to die? So, so the very first, the very first bull we roped up there, we jumped a little bunch of cattle, and there was probably a four or five year old slick bull in there, and, and we all got there. The dogs had them held up, and of course, when you get there, everything kind of scatters and blows up, and we all—it was the first thing me and Tice had ever seen anything like this, so. Boyd lined this bull out, so we just fell right in there with him. Well, Tyson, uh, I think I told you this story before, but I told it wrong. So so Tyson ended up roping this bull, and, and he got up there. I don't remember if Boyd threw and missed or if Tyson just beat him in there on the angle he was in, but Tyson reached out there and roped this bull, and then he just run alongside the bull with his rope in the air saying, I got him, I got him. And he wouldn't dally because, I mean, he was scared to death, you know. And he was so excited that he had caught this bull. And I remember Boyd saying, dally, dally, you know. And, and so Boyd run up in front of this bull to stop it. And the bull went right under his horse. And, and when the whole wreck was over... Boyd was on top of that bull like a sack of potatoes, feet on one side and his head on the other, hanging over that bull. And that bull took about four or five big old jumps, and Boyd went off in a big old bush, and and we thought he was dead. I mean, there's me and Tyson and this 70-year-old man laying in the bushes, and we we kind of looked at each other like, man, we just got up here. It's two days off of here. What are we going to do? Boyd's dead. And pretty quick, he jumps up and says, what's my score? So he, uh, he was good at that, to make light out of things. And I'm sure it hurt. I mean, it may have broke something. I don't yeah. know. But he was good to make light of things and keep it light. That's funny. That paints a good picture. <laughs> bouncing. It looked kind of like a cartoon. Uh, so how long did you go up there with him? So we went... I think we must have went probably three times with him, and we'd stay for a week to two weeks. And usually we'd just stay until we, like if we started catching four or five head the first day, and then he, we'd usually leave him tied to a tree and, and work a rope for a day, and then you'd start leading everything back. And like them big bulls and, and stuff that give you trouble, like we'd neck them together in the corral so you could get in there and they couldn't come at you when you was trying to undo something else and it just depended on how fast we caught them because mm -hmm. uh, because the first ones you caught obviously they're in that corral and there's there's water there and a little bit of feed but not much so you can only hold them so long so sometimes it'd take three or four days to to catch something or sometimes we'd start catching right away and it, it just depend on on how many and how long they'd been in the corral before we'd bring them off
And would you you'd bring them off all together? It's not would, like you yeah. tried to lead them off. Yeah, we we would. We'd bring them. Like I said, he he'd neck them big bulls together or sideline them so they can't run away. The ones that he thought was going to give us trouble, he'd mm-hmm. he'd do something to kind of slow them down so we could handle them and keep them in a bunch. But we'd go in there every day. He'd take his dogs and two or three of us, and we'd work them cows around in that trail and work them to a corner and hold them. And then let them go and push them somewhere and hold them in the middle just so they knew they could be handled and, and yeah. learn a little respect, you know. That's cool. I asked you what the hardest part was about running, where you guys do, but there's always the flip side of that too. So what is the best about, what's your favorite thing about running cattle where you guys do? It, you know, I think my my favorite thing is the, is the memories on that place that I, that I have and the stories that my dad and my grandfather told me. And, and a lot of times, you like in town, you know, we're not out there every day. So you kind of forget that stuff. And and when you go back and you're riding together and, and you ride past a spot and all of a sudden you're oh, yeah, my dad told me that happened right here. And, mm-hmm. You know, and, and you just remembering that the stories and the history and, and making those stories and history with your with my own kids. Yeah. And do all of your kids really enjoy it? Like, do they like coming out and helping you? Yeah, or yeah. I have my second to youngest. She she doesn't love horses and cattle. She's kind of into some other stuff, and but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, she, she comes out with us. It's not her favorite thing, but the other three, they love it. They just eat it up. That's cool that you can... That it can keep going like through the family. Yeah. So now your kids will have stories to tell their kids, like my great great grandpa. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. You know? So something else that I wanted to talk to you about that I think is an important thing to bring up. So you do a lot of like improvements and stuff, where not only where you run, but for other people, right? Yeah, sure. So. So I guess my real job. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we do. So I install a lot of. Well, I just I build water systems like pipelines and water catchments and and like I don't only haul water for me and and my neighbors. I haul water for a lot of other people when they you know I got the trucks and the capabilities. So we do a lot of things like that. We we built corrals for people, uh, working pans, shipping pans. Uh, and and we haul a lot of cattle off of the Arizona Strip and, and locally for for a whole lot of people. Uh, so so yeah, we so these water systems and things we build there. A, a lot of that stuff is is funded like NRCS funding and, and things like that and uh, fences things like that we build fences for people and and really we well as a matter of fact i've even been as far as new mexico building fence uh with my brother-in-law on the same kind of deal so we we get around quite a bit and do a lot of that i guess i should probably back up like buy improvements just for people listening who don't know <laughs> like that is any of the pipelines or any of the water catchments that you do that allow cattle to go out and use a different area that they couldn't use before because of 
lack of water or anything right. out there and it makes it go farther or fencing like any kind of those little projects or what we consider improvements yeah. so yep. would you add anything else to that no no you hit it right <laughs> on the head <laughs> you know better than i do so <laughs> uh, uh. yeah so i i uh I, I think what you're getting at is is a lot of these i think there's a perception out there that that the ranchers uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, maybe or, or welfare ranchers, you know, they, the government gives them all these things and and they don't have to pay for it or they get funded for it. And, they, you know, they're getting paid to do it. And uh, and sometimes sometimes maybe that's the case. And, and sometimes uh, like the BLM will come in and, and do the whole improvement. Uh, but there's also there's also times like, like for instance, on my own place, just this year I built a fence and I paid for the whole thing. Well, let me back that up. Part of it was on BLM, like like a mile or a half a mile or something. And, and the rest was on state land. And the BLM did give me the posts and the wire. Uh, but there was about three and a half miles that was on state land. And... I, I probably could have applied and and got well maybe some funding. I I'm not sure I could have on this particular project, but but I I just couldn't wait. Uh, I still had to get approval from from the state lands, for, you know, clearance to do it. But it, it was on a right of way on what we call the logging road, which is the old haul road to the to the Kaibab when the logging trucks used to run. And man, we were getting like three and four cattle hit a year and, and killing them and and not only were we getting cattle killed but eventually somebody was going to get killed you mm -hmm. know? i mean you just don't hit a cow and walk away very often and we'd been lucky so far and i and i had been working on this project for like two or three years uh trying to get clearance and different things and anyways it finally came the clearance finally came through the blm and they and they supplied me with the post for their part and the state said oh we could we could apply but we could only do one side of the fence because we we can only do a pasture division which is their regulations or whatever and, and i finally just said you know what i can't i can't afford to wait so i paid for 90 percent of that project out of my own pocket uh i've done i've done projects for ranchers on the strip where they built like really nice shipping pens like maybe better pens than a lot of people have in their backyard in town. Big pipe corrals that they've paid 100% out of their pocket. Uh, I know I know one of the guys that I tend these cattle for out here to White Sage, they done some brush treatments and they, same thing, they got the clearance from the BLM but there was no funding. They paid for the whole thing after they got the okay so so that perception of the rancher just mooching off the government it is not what people really think it is there there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that the, the rancher puts out of his own pocket that people don't see yeah and like a lot of times i don't know if this is the case here but sometimes it seems like you can apply to get like an improvement done that you think this is great. Like this'll this will take cattle like out of this concentrated area. If we could do an improvement like a water like a water catchment or a pipeline over to this other area, 
like we'll be able to utilize a lot more of our land, but it seems like sometimes the approval either takes too long, like you said, like you couldn't afford to wait. Um, so just the whole approval process sometimes gets confusing to me. So, so yeah, you're, you're right. Like, like, and I, and it's probably the wrong word, but I, I say the priority is, is not the same. Like, like my priorities are different than my range cons priorities. So, so just this last year, uh, up here on our Red Butte place, we have a well and that's where we get our water from. And it's the, I mean, it's the life source of that place there's no other water so that well went down uh we were up there about noon one day the well was down we only had we got some storage tanks we only had about three days of water and storage and man to get something like that approved to get help from the blm or something could take six or eight months you know i mean they just don't have it's it's not just go in and stick your hand out and they slap some money in your hand. So, yeah. and I, I didn't even ask. So we just, we went right back up there. We worked till about midnight, pulled the well. My wife was in St. George the next morning, picked up a new one and we stuck it in the next day, paid for the whole thing. Didn't, didn't say nothing. Now that particular well, there's two other ranchers that use it and they split the cost, you know, in thirds with me, but we paid for it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, and, and like I said, so the priorities, like, like it's a good idea, just like you said, like if we need water over here <clears throat> and, and we might not have three years to wait for an approval because it might be a drought year like this. And we might have a corner of our allotment that cattle can't get to because there's no water there and it's got great feed. But three years from now, our cattle are going to be starved to death. Like, yeah. like we need it right now. And I, and I know that. I know that that's not possible because of the process they have to go through, but it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes you just wish, like, yeah. like you said, the priority level like, is different. Like, yeah, you like you want to say, and and these guys, these guys in this Canab office, I got to say, are awesome. They're out there and they hustle and they get some good stuff done. They mm -hmm. really, really do. But it, but it gets frustrating because like. Like, man, you just want to say, come to my house. My, you know, <laughs> my cattle are choking or my yeah. cat, you know, and, and if we could just spend a week doing this, we'd be done. We don't yeah. need to take three years to do a week's worth of work, but it's just the process they have to go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder, like, if they realize when they do the utilization or whatever, if, if this is my personal opinion, <laughs> if. If improvements were approved easier, like if the process was easier and you felt like you could actually get something done, feel like you could utilize every area of your allotment a lot better and then like the feed could improve in those different areas because they're not just on one Absolutely. area. You could spread them out more by doing improvements and it seems like that would be something that would be at the priority list if if you're yeah. if you're yeah. over that like let's use every area that we can to spread everything out. Yeah, I, I don't know what that I, makes I any it sense. Does. I completely agree with that. I and and I I get a little selfish with my own place, thinking, man, what 
why don't we just concentrate on me for a while? You know, why, why don't you guys just come over here and <laughs> hang out with me for a while? But but on the other hand, I realized, like, the Canaveri is huge, you know, covers thousands, millions of acres. And, mm-hmm. and they got to spread that whatever funding they have out or, or their resources to do the to make the clearances so the rancher can do it on his own if he wants to and and I realize they're spread a little thin and it does take some time but sometimes it seems like it takes longer than maybe it should or sometimes you feel like oh I went in and talked to them and and they'll get it done and and then like I'll forget about it because I think it's getting worked on and then I'll go back and check and oh we got to get started on that and you know but I I think they're just overwhelmed I think every rancher maybe feels like I do and they're all, yeah. everybody's poking the same <laughs> cushion you know mm-hmm. that makes sense too that's all I want to say about that topic I oh, think okay. <laughs> unless you have anything else <laughs> no, you want to no, add I don't know if you think of something else I, I'd be glad I can't think of anything else right now is there anything else about like your your place that you wanted to add in or anything or there probably is a hundred things I forgot but I can't think of anything <laughs> Do you have any favorite memories from being involved in this kind of lifestyle? Uh, you know, I yeah, I I guess I do, and and maybe it's strange. I like I like I like a good horse wreck or a good you know as long as somebody can walk away from it. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, being with the Joneses. Like this memory just sticks out. It, you know, it was kind of cool because I walked away from it. But so I was with Justin and Jr. up on the Kaibab, and and we were kind of gathering some remnants. And it was in the fall of the year, kind of a crisp, cool morning. And and we hit a little bunch of cattle. And we actually seen them from the truck, so we went down the roadways and and got shapped up and bedded up and turned the dogs loose and rode down the road. And and they had they must have heard us unload or something, so they'd kind of started to take off a little and and Justin caught a glimpse of him so he built to him and so I just peeled in right behind him and was running just right right on his tail and there was this big deadfall up there that had, that had tipped over and and when they do that it, it pulls the roots out of the ground leaves a big hole in the ground where the root ball was and his horse jumped that that hole and when he did it filled it with dust and my horse didn't see it, and man, we piled up, went end over end, and I'd done a big old Pete Rose out there, <laughs> and my horse stood up right next to me, and I just kind of stood up and got back on, and it took me a minute to find Justin. I kind of lost him in the race, and man, when I got to him, I remember he looked at me, and he says, where the hell have you been? <laughs> he didn't know anything had gone on, you know? Yeah. So, things like that are kind of fun. They're, they're kind of neat. I had another one with, with my brother-in-law, Link Bundy. We... We went over in the Orderville Gulch and and was getting kind of some trashy cattle that I'd been in there before. Uh, th- this guy would would take the same cattle back year after year, and we'd go get the same six or eight cattle every year just because they knew how to sneak around. They kind of got spoiled, and so we'd take the dogs over and catch them. And it was me and me and Link and and my son JT. And, there was about five or six head there, some some cattle on a couple big calves, and and we hit them with the dogs, and and we just kind of let the dogs take them down in a bottom where it was open, and and hold them up, and we got down there to them, and was holding them, and the dogs was getting give out, and so 
things were going to start falling apart pretty quick. And so we kind of made a plan on what we was going to do because there was more cattle than there was us, and we were obviously <laughs> going to have to catch them. And so we kind of made a plan, and, and everything kind of broke up there, and everybody lined a cow out and, and went to it. And, of course, my dogs were with the cow, and I stuck with my dogs, and, and this cow happened to just go right up the road on a run. And I I was on a, a young horse, maybe three or four, and I hadn't done much besides drag calves in the trail on him. I hadn't rode much outside. And, and I reached out and roped this cow, and, and there was a little old tree right there, and I, I went over and forked that tree, but I was on the short end of the rope. And so when we come around that tree, she she come around behind me, I don't know, five, six foot behind me, and, and uh, it knocked us both down, knocked my horse down, and it knocked her down. I don't know if the ropes crossed. I don't know what happened, but I ended up about five or six foot out away from the wreck, but I, I'd lost my boot, and I... I'm kind of funny about my feet. Like I, I have a hard time walking across the carpet because they're kind of sensitive. And so I was hopping around there, wondering if the cow was coming. Knew I couldn't run because I'd lost my boot, and I'm kind of a wimp that way. And and I finally found my boot and got my boot pulled on, and and that cow was kind of choked because everything was still tight, and so she wasn't getting up. And I just went over there and tied her down and 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 got my rope off of her before them guys had showed up. But man, it looked like a tractor and a plow had been through there and they, I was covered in dirt and they was kind of laughing at me when they come back it, it was kind of a wreck oh, I'm glad you got your boot though <laughs> yeah yeah me too or else I'd have still been hopping on one leg <laughs> I can't think of anything else well I think I've asked all that I all that I can do but Thanks for visiting with me again. You betcha. That was pretty fun. So I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> that concludes today's episode. And I just want to take a minute to thank Dan for giving the examples that he gave and for taking the time out of his day to visit with me. I really appreciate it. I am glad that he shared the stories that he did. And hopefully by listening to this podcast, you have a little greater understanding of what it's like to run cattle on public land. Like always, to put a face behind the name, find us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at cowboystories underscore podcast. And if you know somebody who would like to be interviewed for our show, or if you or somebody you know is interested in sponsoring our show, please send us an email to cowboystoriespodcast at gmail.com. We really appreciate all of the support that we have so far. Stay tuned for next time. Thanks. Mm-hmm.